Hello, before this episode starts, I'd just like to apologise that our guest Brad's audio for today's episode isn't of that great quality. It gets considerably better for the other two episodes this week, but for this first episode, we'll try the best we can in editing to try and make it sound as good as possible, but it was just technical difficulties. Anyway, hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello, hello. And our special guest for this week, Brad Mendenhall. Hey, everybody. Really excited to be here uh, with with a podcasting prodigy. So, uh, really excited to be here <laughs> Mr. Black is, uh, I, we've crossed paths before, and it's always an enjoyable experience, so this is fantastic. <laughs> um, so, Brad, uh, are you able to briefly tell our listeners who you are? <laughs> There's very few things I'm able to do briefly, but I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> I am the host and co-founder of the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, a pop culture show where we talk about things that we love, uh, books, movies, music, uh comics, what have you, and uh, I've been very blessed. Uh, as we're recording this, uh, we've recorded our 200th episode. It's going to be released relatively soon, so we've been doing it for a while. Now, uh, to, be, to many of my minute people, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but we've been doing this crap for like four years, so really excited. Uh, Luke and Mr. Black have both been guests and uh, both contributed. We get cool people like that all the time, so uh, th- that's who I am. And there's a lot more production value to Cosmic Geppetto than there is to to this. So it's definitely <laughs> worth listening. And I'm I'm genuinely always surprised whenever I listen. It's like wow, like the level of effort that goes into the show. Not that we don't put effort into ours, but yeah, the effort's different because you guys are putting out so many episodes so quickly. And I've, I've been part of some minute by minutes, and it's about you know getting that content out there because there's nothing. Few things more frustrating than a minute by minute podcast where you're supposed to come out three days a week or five days a week, however you want to set it up, and it doesn't come out. It's like, oh, well, it, the, they rely so heavily on having that momentum. I host one of those right now. It's annoying because <laughs> I'm the reason it's behind. Whereas with this, I think we're, I, I'm pretty certain we're just gonna slide through no disturbances. Yeah, so far this one's worked out. <laughs> we haven't missed a recording. Um, we've got everything all set up, and I'm, I've am i got episodes edited right up until the 27th of July. Wow! That is really impressive. I've done three minute by minutes, and the first one, I was able to get that out interrupted, but we had a really long time in between recording and releasing. To the point, it was done in 2016, it was uh, about Army of Darkness, and we had so much of a lead time that... When we started recording, the American uh, elections were, like, still in the debate stage. And we were joking about, oh, who knows, maybe when this comes out, Donald Trump will be president. And the world went different than we thought it was going to. <laughs> so we recorded pre-Trump and uh, released post-Trump. So, you know, I- I'll leave it to your listeners to decide how they feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm even wondering, with the number of conversations we've had on the show about, like, lockdown and all of mm-hmm. that stuff, like... Goodness knows what it'll be like to the latter part of this show. Like, this episode will be, what, November, December time? So, hang yeah, on, I can actually sure. check. 
Several um, months ahead, yeah, we don't know what's going this, on in the world. This episode is, uh, okay, this episode is the end of September, and Friday's episode is the 2nd of October, so not as late as I thought, but still pretty late down the run. So, Brad, what was your first experience with the film About Time? You know, it was, you know, it came out in 2013, it was one of those that I saw, I want to say on Blu-ray, I like Richard Curtis a lot, because he does, and this especially, About Time was especially interesting, because he's a guy who does small movies, like, he does small movies, but with big emotional impact. And this was taking yeah. a big sci-fi concept, but putting it into into this small movie. So at no point is he trying to stop a uh, no point is he trying to stop a bank robbery or you know using it as an action movie trope. He's just trying to you know get the girl and spend more time with his dad, and it's it's very sweet. And uh, it, it was nice to see that time travel trope examined that way because just earlier today I watched a what was it um, the Cinema Sins YouTube series about Back to the Future Two where they were you know sort of uh, making fun of how that movie tried to yeah. tweak the time travel tropes. By the way, I despise Back to the Future Two, so uh, I was really happy to see them make fun of that movie. But I haven't seen it. Yeah, avoided. Now, this, but also what was neat about About Time was it wasn't just that it was, it, it could have just gone with the rom-com round, but it asked some really serious questions, and it definitely had set rules about how time travel worked. And, and I really, and from a long-time comic book fan, I really appreciate it. Like, okay, you have to, you can do anything as ridiculous as you want in a movie or a book or a comic, but as long as you have your own set rules and you follow those rules, that's great. You know, it, it, it didn't it didn't go into it haphazardly. You can tell Curtis has like has like some sort of bible about how time travel works in his universe. I think there are some p- p- slight parts of it where people sort of question things and and have slight issues with it. But for the most part, and what I've always said, like. It's a, it's a film involving time travel, but it's not a time travel movie, so even if there are these issues or whatever, you're, you're, you're making the film experience worse for yourself if you try and stress over them. Well, yeah, um, and, and I think any sort of uh, fantasy, science fiction, whatever, those movies work best when you're not actually talking about the thing you seem to be talking about. Star Trek, going back to the William Shatner Star Trek TV show, was at its best when it would be talking about social issues, but you just dress it up in... You know, science fiction, so you don't realize people don't realize what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that that even yeah, even here, you know, there's some major social stuff that's reached. I mean, we've talked with with Kit Kat. I think it was a really important message that you can't make someone else better. That it's got to you. You can be there to support them, but they've got to make themselves better. They've got to do it for themselves. And I mean, that's a message which at least I've found important now. Like the number of times I see a friend who's struggling and it's, I think it's so easy to, there's being there for someone and there's trying to fix it for them. Yeah. And I think, I think Kit Kat and that, and that issue is something which I think is quite important because you, you can't fix something for someone if they don't want it to be fixed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's terminology that's used with people who are dealing with addiction, letting them 
uh, at rock bottom. And so, so, yeah, so today, I mean, Brad, you've got some minutes. <laughs> today, we're looking at minute uh, 106 and 107. And uh, we open with uh, Nick Cave's Into My Arms continuing with Not to Intervene when it came to you. And Tim says, uh, just um, give me one minute as he walks off. Um, past everyone, and uh, I mean, you've got a heck of a lot of notes before I go on to what's happening next. From what I've already <laughs> seen. <laughs> well, yeah, because it was so nice last last week when uh, Desmond was standing there, and he's still he like he's got his impeccable suit and he's smiling. Now his head is down. Once uh, Harry says it's a hateful day, and then uh, I, I I wondered there was a look that mom that mum has when uh, Tim walks past her, like. Maybe she doesn't know time travel is a thing that he and his father can do, but she's used to, like, her husband going off to a closet all the time. And so she's just like, yeah, okay, it's one of those things. Yeah, I do kind of wonder what they think. Yeah. I mean, technically, they could erase it any time if they see anything, but, yeah, it's 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 odd, and it's but it's great. So I do like that we get that look. It even, what you say sort of calls back to the beginning of the movie where during the voiceovers, like, we were, we were a quirky family. You know, from his perspective when he was growing up, you know, dad, dad was just weird. You know, he was just goofy and he had a lot of extra time. And it's sort of a thing where, and that's sort of perhaps how they even dealt with this and not having to explain it. It's like, you know, let's just be eccentric and quirky and they'll, and that's an easier explanation than, by the way, we time travel. Yeah. I think so, that's a good point. Yeah, because... I mean, I'd imagine, because time travel is such a, a far-off concept, it's the, the least you'd think if someone just kept going off somewhere. You'd you'd wonder a lot of things, but I, I don't think you'd go, oh, I wonder if they're a time traveller. Like, I think, I think it's so easy with films like this as well, to be like, oh, how don't they realise? But it's like, would we realise if someone just kept... Well, I'd say what I'd suspect them of, but I can't <laughs> well, well, now I'm wondering if that roommate I had in college who was always locking the door was actually a time traveller instead of the <laughs> other. Yeah. So, Tim re-emerges. Oh, I'm just copying your words. I don't even need to. <laughs> I read your script and your, your words just appear. Tim appears in different outfit, matching the door. Um... And there's his dad um, lie, lying down reading a book. Yep. And he says, uh, this is so brilliant. Dickens is so good on actual jokes, actual gags. Where have you come from? I wasn't sure when I heard this, actually, whether he said, where have you come from or when. I was, I, I forgot to double check, but I was watching it earlier and I was like, but I guess even by where he means it's, when. Yeah, it's the same thing. Well, he knows where, because... You, they time travel in the location they are. He knows he's at the house. So, whatever word he's asking, he knows what it means. And then Tim says, it's the... And he doesn't need to say anything else. <laughs> so I'm assuming that he's going back to see his dad chronologically? It, it, that's actually up for discussion, I think, this episode, because we now have a window. He has five months' worth of time where he can talk to his dad. But he also has to be when he was at the house. So how many times did he visit? Does he visit extra times in those five months before his dad died just to make sure he could? Well, he he could still go back in time to, to see, see his, his dad, dad and, and visit, visit the house and then, and then go back, back 
to, to remove him. Well, yeah, he could come back to this same moment every time, and then it's more visits for him, but not more for his dad, which isn't very fair. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if his dad does the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... So, Tim says it's the... Oh, okay. Big day. Thanks for dropping in. Her <laughs> Uncle Desmond's suit. I love the thanks for dropping in. It's so casual that, once again, it just normalises the time travel so yep, wonderfully. Yep. How's Uncle Desmond's suit? Oh, immaculate. Excellent. Did I mention I'm one of the Nick Cave track? <laughs> Which, apparently they had to record three takes of this scene. I can't what the other band... The, there was one other artist, and I forgot to write down what the other artist was. So no matter what song they had, they were going to have him mention it? That's good. Yeah, and then there was one where they just did... Where he just said, um, did I mention I wanted the track? <laughs> Which, I don't understand what they do, but I'd sort of more imagine that if that did happen, you'd just cut the line. Yeah. It's very powerful, then, we'll see in the in the next few minutes. The song is such a big part of of the next few minutes, because it really is, it's almost like, it almost feels like a music video, but not in a really glaring way that, like, 80s and 90s rom-coms did it. It, it doesn't feel unearned, but it's definitely, you know, it does add a little power. It's like, this is the song that Dad wanted, and it, it's almost like that song going over the next few minutes, and as these characters are sort of moving forward, how their dad's spirit's sort of still with them, yeah. and, and you feel it via the song. It's an extra layer. It's nice. Yeah. One thing that I, I really liked, and I'm not... I'm not the best person to appreciate visuals in a movie. Yeah. I, I've, I've always had a better ear for dialogue and acting. But just the door, the color of the door that he, he goes through to, to talk to that when he goes in was just, it was such a different, it, was it red? I, I'm colorblind, so I sometimes have a little told with my reds and browns. But it was definitely like very much contrasted everything else in the scene. And I, and I really like that. That um... Yeah. Oh, hello. Uh, sorry. No problem. We were just talking about colors of doors. I, I think it is, and I do, I do like that there's definitely attention brought to the color scheme in this film. It's hardly ever talked about in the commentary. Incidentally, apart from this minute, where uh, Tom Hollander says in the commentary, Tim's jumper matches the door. Yeah. No one responds to it, but it's the first time that this whole matching thing has actually been... Which is what's been the whole movie, too. Tim always matches this hallway. And it was only commented on after Richard Curtis said he wished he'd chosen a better jumper. <laughs> um, because, of course, the characters can only wear jumpers, apparently. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we've got the... The Nick Cave track, he says, is taken care of. Thank you. Can I just read you this one bit? <laughs> also, right, I forgot to say, I, you know how I said, to, I think I might message you this, Robert. You know how I said to you that I wasn't going to watch About Time until we finished doing the show? Yeah. And then I watched it the other day. Yeah. I, I was in tears at this point. It was just like, I think, cause knowing the film so inside out, even in the moments where the major emotional thing, although it's obviously still really emotional, the major emotional thing hasn't actually happened yet. Knowing that it's going to happen brought me to tears. <laughs> I messaged Emma Freud afterwards, and I was like, even after knowing the film Inside Out, I'm still bawling at the end. Well, I, I think that goes back to where people said they didn't remember much about the film until the second time they watched it, is it it plays on that sort of expectation. 
Yeah. Emma Freud's response was, Oh, Luke, this is so gorgeous, can't believe you cried again. So, there we go. <laughs> I mean, all fair enough, I don't think I've mentioned that I've cried the first time, so you really should have said if I cried this time. I don't... Mind you, I, might, I probably said it on the show. Yeah. I, I, I cried at the wedding one of the times I watched the film. Like, I think I just cry a lot. And I've been watching a... It, I've gone through that phase again, Robert, where it appears that every film I've watched has ended up being really emotional. Um, yeah. I was watching, watched Goodbye, Christopher Robin yesterday. Yeah. I forgot how emotional that was. <laughs> um, which, incidentally, I watched because of this show. I want another one I watched because of this show. On Monday, don't know why I did this, I was feeling kind of down, and I was like, ah, I should watch a film. Logically, The Notebook. Oh, okay. I knew it was sad. I knew it was sad, but I knew I hadn't seen it. And just the number of times we mentioned it, I thought, I keep hearing it's sad. I don't, I don't know why. I should probably watch it first before someone eventually mentions it. So now I know. And it, it's just, at the start, I thought it was really cliched, and then it just became really sweet. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if, if we got stuff to say on 106 before we go into 107? Or? Well, it's, it's nice that uh, the dad is... He's very relaxed on the couch, and then when he says, can I read you this, he, he smiles, he sits up so that there's room for Tim. I did notice that today, actually, how I think it's even before he says yes, isn't it? He says, can I read you this one bit, and he sits up. Yeah, before before Tim yeah. properly responds. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim can't exactly say I ain't got any time. <laughs> you know, it's... Right. There's, he's just going to... Was, I was just so glad that I had a Bill Nighy scene, because... He is an amazing actor who's done a lot of crap. He's one of those actors where, especially at the point where he's in his life, he's not going to be the, necessarily the lead, and he, he's not going to be playing Iron Man or you know be a lead in a blockbuster. So he ends up playing a lot of bad guys and brings a lot to it. Because I remember when I first saw, probably the first time I really saw him in a movie was Underworld. And Underworld was not a good movie, but he was so good in it, and lifted that movie up, like, two notches from where it should have been, because it was really crap. But he was such a great bad guy, with so much charisma and presence, and it's it's nice to see him not playing, basically, a supervillain or a Bond villain or anything like that. It's like, no, he's a really charismatic actor... And let him play, you know, an interesting father figure. You know, and he wasn't boring. He wasn't, I don't know, he, he wasn't a disapproving dad or anything. No, he, he's, a, he's a good father who loves his kid. Doesn't have the easiest time expressing it always, which is something we'll talk about in our bonus minute later. So he he's, it was just really nice to see him. Curtis very much knows how to use that actor. Hmm. And Bill Nye actually specifically said for this film, I'll take the role if I don't have to act. He said, I just want to be myself. And I think we can definitely see that, especially in this scene. And before I forget, on Mondays, which was started a few weeks ago by one of our guests, we take a look at bad reviews for about time and look at why people don't like it. So I'm going to look at a few short ones before hopefully finding a longer one, because I like the longer ones. So, uh, half a star. This is three buckets of blood away from being a slasher about a time-travelling stalker whose weapon of choice is gaslighting. (laughs) 
Hey! <laughs> That's not unfair. It is a thing where it's a little stalkery the way he, and, and, and not just was Rachel McAdams' character, you know, he, he does, you know, use his time-traveling abilities to his romantic advantage, um, you know, with uh, Margot Robbie, where he's like, you know, goes back to a different time when he thought he had a better shot with her, and you know, which was his own interesting thing. But with McAdams, yeah, she gets a boyfriend, he decides he wants, and, and he screws up the relationship. It's a little bit of a douche move. It's fair. Fortunately, I think Gleason gets away from it because he's, he's, he's sort of likable, but also benign. Yeah. I don't know, if you had like a young Christian Slater, it's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't go with him, you're gonna die. Because, <laughs> even if he, even if it was, the movie was exactly the same, because Christian Slater, young Jack Nicholson, um, I, I, even like Chris Pratt, or Robert Downey Jr., uh, I'm just, there's a lot of actors, although they might be more charismatic, better looking, whatever, they have a little bit of a malevolence to their performances, and Gleason doesn't have any of that. Nah. Um, so there's a couple of other short ones here. Uh, the, the following two are very, very... Uh, going down a similar theme. One star. The amount of shitty movies I watch for Rachel McAdams is astounding. <laughs> Sorry, astonishing. Which is then followed by another reviewer. The one star is for Margot Robbie. So, clearly, there's, there's similar themes going along here. I'm, I'm trying to find... I, I like these longer ones, and I, we're running a shorter of longer ones. Well, here we go. I'm not a huge fan of romantic dramas, but Richard Curtis did direct Pirate Radio slash The Boat That Rocked and Love Actually, one of the few romantic dramas I do like. It also has Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye, and Margot Robbie. So, a few things going for it. Massive spoilers ahead. The movie centres around Tim, who finds out when he's 21, the men in his family can go back in time to any point in their past. His dad, played by Bill Nye, tells him the butterfly effect hasn't affected him. So we shouldn't expect that to be an issue down the road. Unfortunately, the one thing about Time Accomplished was to create a desire to watch Love Actually again. Watch it to see if the characters are as, un- as, are as insufferable as Gleason is here. I think Curtis certainly must have benefited from the multiple story structure. Tim tells the movie, Tim starts the movie not wanting to find love. Sorry, yeah. No, he specifically states he wants a girlfriend, nothing of love. It's not until he approaches Charlotte, played by Margot Robbie, that the word love even comes up. And, and she's, she's the, the one, one who mentions, mentions it. it. That's, That's a really, really good point, point actually. Um, we haven't discussed this, have we? No. I think, they're, I think they're missing the arc of the character. Yeah, he starts out wanting a girlfriend, so they present Margot Robbie just as one of the most beautiful creatures on the planet, and he wants her to be his girlfriend, and then... All of a sudden you have McAdams, a beautiful woman who they they do their best to frump up a little bit, but, and then he realizes, like, oh, I don't want a girlfriend, I want to, you know, because he finds love, he finds this person who isn't, you know, who's more than just, it'd be nice to have a girlfriend, it's fun to have someone on your arm, it's fun to have sex, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, he's actually in love. I, it's one of those things where I think their complaint misses the point of the character. Yeah. They say, but wait, he can go back in time and manipulate their relationship. But, you know, she still doesn't think him. Woe is Tim. When he does find someone, he goes back in time to help change his roommate's disastrous play performance. But it's at this time he met Mary, Rachel McAdams, so he now has to stalk her to win her over. Much to his chagrin, she 
she's bowed up now, let him figure out how they got together so he can go in front of that guy because she's not meant to have happiness if it's not with him. Speaking of which, at no point does the film in the film does Tim offer any consideration towards Mary. But few times it'll lucky might be, it's just so he can save face. He even tries to get with Charlotte again, who's suddenly interested in him because he's wearing a suit. Whilst Mary is caught up in a whilst being caught up in a steam relationship with Mary. It's okay though, ever a gentleman, he stops Charlotte's door and decides to run back to Mary and propose. The very night he went out with someone else. Once again we have discussed this. Throughout the runtime he gets to make decisions on their wedding while she sheds an article of clothing for each decision he makes. Not that it matters, because he still goes back in time to change those decisions. At one point, it looks like Tim is actually going to show some concern towards another human. He takes his sister, played by Lydia Wilson, back in time with him on the night she met her abusive boyfriend. Um, a noble gesture for sure, but when he comes back to find his offspring isn't what he remembered, he says F that and sends her back to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> It's seldom... I think the issue with this is it's not lying, but I still love the film because of all this. Like, it's just... Yeah, I can understand this point of view. I'm intrigued to find out what Richard and Emma think of this new segment on our show. <laughs> just what they always wanted. Yeah, this is what they're after since we started. To... It's seldom that we get to know any relevant facts about Mary. She's merely there to satisfy Tim. The one time the character is offered an emotionally resonating moment, it's undercut by Tim's own miserable moment. True. He's about to meet a big client, she's an editor, about their manuscript, but Tim left their daughter downstairs, alone, father of the year. When their daughter gets into Mary's office, she tears that manuscript to shreds. She puts it through the shredder too, father of the year indeed. Tim, I mean, we've got to talk about the fact that, yes, he left her alone and that's not good, but it's in their own house, and she's like a toddler at this point. Like, I'd imagine you can... I don't know, I've not had a toddler, but I'd imagine leaving them where they are already doing something for a minute is fine. Yeah, that's, it's not... Yeah, that, that is that outrageous. Every parent has some wall that's been drawn on, some dog that's been shaved, some... Uh, <laughs> Some, like, uh, some candy that shouldn't have been eaten that's been eaten. That's, uh, that's what kids do. What was it? Uh, it's probably been two years ago, uh, that clip of the, the gentleman who was doing a, being interviewed. While he's being interviewed from his home office, his dog, all of his kids just start marching in, and then his poor wife, like, <laughs> makes the mad dash. And it was funny, because every single parent is like, uh, yeah, that's what my kids would be doing. It's like, uh-huh. it's like, they're just lucky the kids were wearing pants when they did it. <laughs> um, when their daughter gets into Mary's office, she tears the manuscript, put it through the strategy, and we do Tim has a chance to use his gift to go back in time and fix his own F-up. He later gets a phone call that his dad has cancer. So, to hell with Mary's career. I that, honestly thought... That moment was one I'm, I wonder about, because the movie does makes no attempt to say he fixed that. And he could have still. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I guess he's kind of distracted by the phone call that he doesn't, and I'm assuming that Mary can get out of that meeting. I assume she did get out of that meeting. Yeah, but she still has that manuscript in pieces. That's not good. That's true. Yeah, fair enough. That, that could be um, something that's on the cutting room floor because the other moments around it were much bigger than him fixing the manuscript. But, 
Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I would have no problem believing that after he's afterwards, he's like, oh yeah, I better fix that, and goes back and fixes. It. Well, if if you do, as this reviewer is, look at the movie from Mary's perspective, it is a little troubling, though. That yeah, the movie puts his problem immediately above hers at the same time, which it makes for a great scene, as we talked about a few weeks ago uh, with Kate and with all the tension of the phone ringing and Mary won't let him out of the room and it makes for a very tense thing. But also, he's a time traveler. He can still fix it. He can fix it later. Yeah, yeah I think I think what it is, is once again, I'm going to use the same excuse I always use, which is Tim's narrating this film. Till is telling us the story as he remembers it. Yeah. He might not remember what happened then. Like, you know, the... Even if he did something back to fix it, mm-hmm. his mind right, right. was still elsewhere at that time. That it, I guess it's just. Or there's no time travel at all, and he he's literally couldn't fix it. It was too late. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll open up that question about the no time travel again in a moment. Um, I honestly thought the concept of this movie had potential. I was willing to give Gleason a chance, as he had a great supporting cast. But when those supporting actors, so I assume this guy doesn't like Donald Gleason from the way that sounds like. But when the supporting actors get to offer nothing but pavement for Gleason's self-pitying, inconsiderable pile of waste, they're indeed gone to waste. I didn't even let its use of Into My Arms by Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds hurt its ranking. Using the song my wife and I first danced to at our wedding for a funeral scene was the six feet of soil atop the <laughs> and was nailed coffin. And that's the end of the review. What's well, a beautiful song? Plus, now he's, now he's playing a quirky character. So, you know, I don't know. I I think having a song that might be a little different or have different emotional impact works better than just having someone sing Amazing Grace. Yeah. I think it's it's a good song for a funeral. I can understand it for a wedding as well, but I think it's it's got enough melancholy about it that it suits a funeral. Um, So, I mean, should we go straight into 107? Let's do it! Read away, I've got lots of time, Tim says. And his dad reads, and I think the Romans must have aggravated one another very much with their noses. Perhaps they became the restless people they were in consequence. Anyhow, Mr. Wopsle's Roman nose so aggravated me, and then that fades out back into into my arms. And apparently, the line in the script when they said about Dickens having jokes... Richard Curtis then kind of regretted after they had to spend so long trying to find a Dickens joke. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. And the weird thing is, I haven't read Great Expectations, but that, and I don't think just for this film, that part feels familiar. I don't know what it is. I don't know, maybe it's just because I've seen this film so many times. Probably, but yeah. I always feel like I've actually read that. But I've only read Oliver and Christmas Carol. What was I think I read Christmas Carol? Um, I had to study it for GCSE, so I left read it not long before this all finished. Not <laughs> 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 long before lockdown, because I was going to sit an exam on a Christmas Carol. Uh, yeah. would have been weird. I find that interesting because Christmas Carol has so much. There's so much cultural osmosis because there's been so many versions of it. Black Hatter is the best one, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, you, you know, and you wonder, it's one of those that everyone should probably go back and read the original, because so many of the, you know, listen, by the time you get to Mickey Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol, which, yeah, we had Scrooge McDuck, and that's fine and all that, 
but you, you, there might be something lost in the translation from the original version. I think so. There's some great stuff in the original version that we don't get much of. Yeah, it's... Although I'm reading it, I mean, I hated it towards the end because exams and studying it over and over again is annoying. But it's a, it's a beautiful piece of text and it's really funny in some places. I mean, like, one of my favorite, it's literally the whole, the whole opening about Marley being dead and that whole, the whole exchange. It's, it's almost like the Monty Python dead parrot sketch, really. <laughs> in the different ways he tries to describe that he's dead and then it's like, oh, we have to mention it because if you didn't know that Hamlet's dad was dead, it wouldn't have made Hamlet so impressive. Obviously, that's not the exact wording, but yeah, I think Christmas Carol is great and it made me want to read more Dickens, but also there's a load of other books I want to read and I just don't read them. So, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's not made me want to read instead of watching films, but it's it's made me want to read Dickens instead of other books. And yeah, I think Dickens was great. We talked quite a bit about Dickens in, on the show before, haven't we? It's come up, yeah. I was just looking at this page in Great Expectations and finding it interesting that the the paragraph right before the paragraph right before this line almost connects to the film, you know, like thematically because it's his sister talking. Uh, she says, trouble, echo my sister, trouble, and then entered on a tearful catalog, a fearful catalog of the illnesses I had been guilty of and all the acts of sleeplessness I had committed, all the high places I had tumbled from and all the low places I had tumbled into, and all the injuries I had done myself and all the times she had wished me in my grave and I continuously refused to go there. So you, you are, you, you're actually reading out of, you, you've, you found the part of the book that this mm-hmm. is in. Yeah. Did that take much work or? Nah, it's just Google. <laughs> That's easy with old books. Yeah, and you got your own copy that you're reading from? No, it's on the... I think I might have a copy of the book somewhere still, but no, it's the internet. I I wanted to recreate Expectation for ages. I don't actually remember, and we won't talk about it too much because I realise it could be quite boring. I don't remember much of what it's about, but I know that I liked the film when I was little. And I'm pretty sure my uncle was named after a character from it. There's someone called Pip, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 my uncle. Well, ah, well, <laughs> well, no, no, that's not my uncle in the in the book. Expectations about Luke's uncle. Got it. <laughs> so Nick Cave sings "Into My Arms, O Lord, Into My Arms, O Lord, Into My Arms, O Lord, Into My Arms, O Lord." Uh, while we are at the driveway, and Robert does the visual so he can talk about all of that. Well, they they walk out. Mum and Harry walk out together. Uh, Mum stops and Jay and Kit Kat come out and Mum hugs Kit Kat. Mary comes out carrying Posey, who's crying. Yeah, I love, I love that detail. I mean, I don't, you don't know how, how deliberate it is. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I love the fact that Posey was crying. That, that made me cry more. Yeah. And Kit Kat's upset and oh, everyone's just, all the performances here that are so in the background that, but all, Present enough. The uh, the unnamed Jeff baby um, is just like he doesn't care because he's a baby. The song actually skips a verse, by the way. Notice that I normally that I normally notice that a lot with songs. What I did notice is that this feels like a different. I, mean, I think it probably happens quite a lot with films that the mix in the music is slightly different. Yeah. Because the number of times I listen to the soundtrack when I rewatched the film the other day. Like, some of the versions of the song are just different. <laughs> and I couldn't tell whether it was a different mix or a different recording. Um, but yeah, that was... But I hadn't even noticed that we skipped the verse. So is, we, 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 do we skip the... Um, 
I don't believe in the existence of angels. Yeah. That's it. That's one of my favourite verses, not going to lie, but hey-ho. There's three verses, I know, but I like that verse. It's a good verse. Uh, but, yeah. And then we get, uh, yeah, so you get the line from the song, but I believe in love, and then you got Desmond at uh, the car doors, Kit Kat gets in, and someone, I'm not sure who, because you can't see the car, starts the car already, just like Mum did last time. Like, these people are impatient when they're driving places, which amuses me. And then Tim gets into his car, still holding Jeff, which is not safe. <laughs> yeah, it's another thing every parent's and, done. It's like, ah, uh, we're just yes. driving 20, 20 yards, and I'm going to have the kid in my lap. But well, They're driving on a one-lane road. It's not like there's going to be much happening. And they, when they do start driving at the end of this minute, they're at Portlow again, which is where they were driving, or when they were walking during the storm. So, funeral procession is happening in the same place the wedding procession happened. Oh. A little bit of symmetry there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all I got for 107. So, Brad, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can find uh, the Cosmic Credo Podcast on Twitter at Cosmic G Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook, the Cosmic Geppetto listeners page. Um... And uh, we recommend every, uh, the Cosmic Chicago podcast be found on all your favorite podcatchers. We uh, ask that you check us out. We, we have a lot of fun. As I said uh, last time, uh, both Luke and Mr. Black have been uh, kind enough to join the fun. And uh, we have a great time. So uh ask that everyone do that. Mm. And I assume, yeah, definitely by the time this episode's out, the other one, I, the one I recorded with you last week will be out there as well. So if the listeners enjoyed when I was on on this show when I've been talking constantly about age ratings and annoying Robert about it. There's another one for the drinking game, Robert. Oh, age rating stuff, yeah. Yeah, I was on Cosmic Geppetto to talk about age ratings. It was an hour-long conversation. We are both fascinated by how that works. Robert, where can our listeners find you on social media? Robert E.G. Black on social media or lemmingdrops.com for links to all of my podcasts and whatnot. And the listeners can find me on Twitter at Lava underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram at The Ginger Luke, Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, newspaper articles, radio appearances, short films, everything I'm remotely involved in is probably at LukeAllen.co.uk. And this show's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Minutes About Time. We're on IMDb at Two Minutes About Time. And they can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things to do with about time and any tangents we have on here. Tend to end each episode with an interesting way of saying goodbye. Robert, you already know what what I was about to say after that, I assume, which is that I forgot to Google it. Of course. I think I should just leave it open on my laptop by this point. Um, hey Brad, actually, do you know of any interesting ways to say goodbye? coming up with is I really love the uh, show The Good Place uh, so uh, I, I know one of the running jokes is how Ted Dance's character just always want to say goodbye by saying uh, smell you later The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions <laughs> <laughs>